a useful definition of love is sustained, compassionate attention. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, I have been so excited to bring you this episode um, literally since the AZA convention when I first spoke to my guest. I thought, man, she seems really interested in doing this, and if we can make it work out, that would be amazing. And then I booked a gig out near where she works, and uh, we set it up, and it was everything I hoped it would be and more. I am talking about, of course, Sarah Lynn Bowser. Now, Sarah works at the Oakland Zoo, and I'm going to let her tell you exactly what her position is, but she's working with ambassador animals. And uh, we talk about some pretty cool, pretty controversial stuff. We talk about advancements in the ambassador animal field and the way that different zoos are, are coming to think about ambassador animals right now. Uh, we also talk a lot about, like what it means to have a relationship with an animal in a very real way. Um, it's, it's really fun. But then on top of that, uh, Sarah is just really, really good at talking about animals. I mean, this is her job and, uh, she's, she's just amazing at it. And, uh, if you haven't seen her at Sarah Lynn Bowser on Instagram yet, you need to, I'll have links up. Um, she just does amazing videos, educating people about wildlife and about zoo animals and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, she's just a really positive person and I'm really excited to be bringing that kind of positivity to you on the podcast again. But before we get to her, I want to uh, take a moment to remind you all to make sure you are following along. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Make sure that you are following along on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, I guess, if Elon Musk hasn't completely destroyed it yet, uh, at Rossafari, and of course on TikTok at Rossafari Pod. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, go and leave a rating and review. All the things, just, I know y'all listen to podcasts, so all the things that all the podcast hosts say to do for them, go do them for me. That'd be awesome. Uh, and yeah, without further ado, here is my interview with the incomparable Sarah Lynn Bowser of the Oakland Zoo. All right, so let's uh, let's get started. Tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. So my name is Sarah Lynn Bowser. We are at the Oakland Zoo in Oakland, California, and I am the programs manager for our ambassador animal programs. Yeah, you are. And um, so, so yeah, the way that we met was that we were at the conference mm -hmm. and you were presenting. And so before we get into the other stuff, can you talk a little bit about what you were sharing about? Yeah. So I was at the AZA 2022 conference and I was talking about uh, kind of trends in ambassador animal programs and what we do at the Oakland Zoo, changes that we made recently since I've joined the zoo in the past year, and then 
what our goals kind of look like in the future. And part of the reason that we want to share those things are so if there's other institutions that have programs kind of like ours, if they want to be able to learn from us, things that we can learn from them and give us an opportunity to kind of all get together and share ideas so that we continue to push animal welfare for all of our animals, especially our ambassador animals, which are the animals that you usually get to see in educational programming or have some of those really kind of close up really important experiences with that people often say are catalysts for when they fell in love with animals uh, like me. When I grew up, when I was growing up, I actually met a great horned owl ambassador animal and I was like seven and I was like that person, I want to be that person and now I am that person. That's awesome. So I'm going to start off going deep, which I normally don't do. But since you brought that up, we're talking about welfare and we're talking Mm -hmm. about ambassador animals. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have encountered a lot in these situations uh, is talking to people who fell in love with the idea Mm -hmm. of animals and conservation through an encounter Mm -hmm. with an animal. That would now not be considered okay. And it could be anything from yeah. cub petting, which we are very anti here. You know, right. this is, um, I know you're new to this podcast, mm-hmm. but it, we, we are accredited. We are, you know, we're very anti-tiger king, all that stuff. Get, all, exactly get, get, what get, you would expect, get. yes. Um, but to one of my first mm-hmm. memories is riding an elephant at a local park in my hometown. This is wow. very not okay. I'm yeah. not saying it's okay. Yeah. But it made me fall completely in love Mm -hmm. with the idea of like exotic animals being cool. And I'm not the only person that has been on this podcast that has that story. I've had two other guests that have off record told me that that was their first experience and Mm -hmm. they don't like want it on there. So I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is obviously animal welfare first, Mm -hmm. but what steps are we doing to make sure that we still inspire people with those types of encounters without having an elephant at Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Park in Mechanicsburg, (laughs) Pennsylvania? What the hell, guys? (laughs) Yeah, so that is actually a really good question, and I will do my best to kind of acknowledge it. One of the first things that I can say is we can't do better until we know better. And so if you had an experience like that and you did not know any better, but you do now, what matters is what you do now, right? So if you've had that and this is eating you up alive because you did this one thing um, or maybe you held that baby sloth for a photo, or you did these things and you had no idea what those implications might be, give yourself a break for a second. What matters is what you do with the information and how you move forward. Um, and a lot of people do have those experiences of being very up close with animals. Um, and that's actually part of my job and how do you balance giving people a connection or trying to foster a connection without compromising an animal's safety. And depending on the individual animal, um, they all have different needs. So for example, not as large of a scale as someone riding an elephant, but sometimes people will be like, can I put the snake around my neck? And so that's something that's probably a lot more common and you might still see people do. We do not do that here. And part of that reason is to protect the autonomy of our individual animals and their individual needs, as well as their general safety. Um, and I know that having, you know, we know that having animals around our necks is like a fun picture. Um, and when people make those requests, we have a conversation about it. And so that's usually one of the biggest things is when someone asks, can I do X? And the answer is no or not quite. We talk candidly about why. So whether it is a, you know, riding an elephant uh, or something like that, or even something as small as, can I have that snake around my mind? Giving those conversation points and really talking through, we, even if you've done that somewhere, we don't do that here because of X, Y, and Z. And just keeping that as open and honest and trying to make people feel okay asking those questions. It kind of comes down to 
my job, right, is whoever's working with those animals, can we have those conversations safely and successfully with people? And that's our responsibility there. Um, as hard as it is, it's just talking about it and making people not feel stupid for asking a question that they feel silly asking about. Or, you know, we had people here, you know, the Oakland Zoo is celebrating 100 years this year. And we've had people in the past who talked about how when they were kids, they used to ride our Aldabra tortoises, Ooh, yeah, which is something that people it. used to do. And we even have, if we don't already have an exhibit sign about it, we've definitely shared about it, talking about how even as an institution, you're constantly growing and constantly learning. And so we've never reached a point of, okay, we did it. We've, we've nailed animal welfare. Right, right. We are constantly pushing to say, can we do better? Because the answer is always yes. And thinking about what choices, it makes me think about now, like what choices are we making now that 10 years from now, I'll look back and be like, oh God, I wish we didn't do that. Right. right? Yeah. But again, you can't do better until you know better. And so just always trying to keep those things going and making sure people understand why and giving people the encouragement to be better the next time that they do something. So it's mostly just about that that conversation um, with whatever situation. And it's always really funny having people people feel you out and they try to like gauge is like, is she going to be really mad at me uh, when I tell her this information? Uh, and so it's really nice to watch people kind of open up to you the more that they talk to you and they say, hey, this happened. What are your thoughts? And I'll be like, usually if I'm like, it's not great, what could we have done differently moving forward? What advice can you give to somebody else that maybe is in that situation? Um, and just helping people leave not feeling awful and shutting down entirely, but feeling like, okay, I feel like I have this information. I can share it and I can pass it on to the next person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Are, do you guys, uh, and, and when I say y'all, I, I'm mm-hmm. not just talking about like even Oakland Zoo or right. your team, but in mm-hmm. general in the field, would you argue? And also if you have specific, mm-hmm. you know, do you try to find ways like, I don't think you should be riding elephants. Obviously, that yeah. is not okay. Right. But there are some zoos that do like an elephant bath experience mm-hmm. where you can like, they will hose down the elephant and you can like help with it a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's very safe. It's very protected contact. You know, I know they do something like that. I think at Cincy, I know they do at mm-hmm. uh, San Diego. Like we're talking mm-hmm. good zoos. Right. Um, you know, whether it's something that big or or something small, you know, no, you can't have a snake around your neck, mm-hmm. but you can pet it down the back while mm-hmm. I hold it or while it's in an enclosure where it can get away. Right. It has choice. It has whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, are, are you constantly looking for new ways to, to make that happen? We are. And what's funny about that is that we actually, especially when it comes to ambassador animals, we don't all agree right now. Um, there are some individuals who have kind of phased out having ambassador animals overall. Wow, there are okay. some individuals who are really going uh, forward with it because of the ability, like the ability to build empathy and connection with animals. And we don't all agree. And the problem with it is because ambassador animals are so difficult to research their impact because it's not quantitative. It's qualitative and the experience is on your life and it makes it really hard. And there's always so many variables. So for example, I could have an ambassador animal with me right now, but the conversation you might have with me might be different than another handler. So is your experience the same? Not necessarily. Right. Uh, and is that the animal's fault? No. Um, but <laughs> never. They're it's perfect. Never. They're lovely all the time. But so it's so hard because there's so many variables. And so it's an area that's really understudied. And that's actually one thing that we talked about or I talked about at uh, the conference as well. I was talking about how we really see it as our responsibility to kind of continue that research and keep asking ourselves these questions. Um, you might have, as you at the conference, you might have heard people talk about, should we use a leash and harness with animals? 
animals? If it's for their safety, what about if it's not? What does it look like for welfare? There was one question about whether it was a greater welfare concern, whether an animal would be better off on a leash and harness, voluntarily walking to their vet appointment, or not having a leash and harness and being put in a crate and transported, which is the least stressful. Right. Which is the best option for that animal, even if it looks like something else to somebody. Right. So right. it's yeah. kind of balancing the optics of something and how something looks versus what its benefits are to the actual animal. And so, and these all change depending on each species that you talk about. And, and there's, even individuals. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so oh, when yeah. you, you know, you might try to look for research and they'll talk about usually a lot of more like charismatic megafauna. So you'll find more papers on like cheetahs or pandas. Not about snakes, not about scorpions, not even so much about birds unless we're talking about parrots. And so it makes it really hard. And so uh, we're all trying and we are trying to continue to learn and share, which is one of the main reasons we have those conferences is to be able to contribute um, and give other people ideas and see if we can work together. We don't always agree. There are conversations right now about whether or not elephants even belong in zoos at all because they're one of the only animals whose life expectancy might be lower under right. human care. And so you can imagine there's contention with that because you have individuals that work with them that love them. Yeah. Um, but then figuring out, um, this is actually like a quote that I ended my own presentation with and it was that a useful definition of love is sustained compassionate attention so pay attention and that is how you show that you love them I can tell you I can tell them all day long how much I love them but if I'm not paying attention to the needs and their welfare then I'm not I'm doing them a disservice um and so, that goes beyond animals. I yeah. mean, for real. Yeah. I, you actually, I remember now that you say that, yeah. I remember that you ended with that. Mm -hmm. And I turned, my fiance and I were there together. Oh, yeah. And I turned to her and I was like, I'm, and she's like, I know. Yeah. It wasn't even, she's like, yes, I am aware you're going to go talk to her yeah. now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It was happening anyway because I love this zoo. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, ah, yeah, yeah. it was happening. That right. is such a great way to say it. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, I pride myself mm -hmm. on is like good science communication. Right. Have to. It's a podcast. Yeah. Um, but like some people are very sciencey and not good at communicating. Mm -hmm. And some people are very good at communicating and not very sciencey mm -hmm. and working on it by getting a master's or <laughs> trying. Oh my gosh, <laughs> life is hard right yeah. now. But um, I, I thought you really mm -hmm. like, the way that you presented it was very clear that you were really good at both sides of that. And I oh, thought that was you. very cool. Thank yeah. you. That makes me very happy because uh, I do try to be my background. I went to school. I have a bachelor's of science in forest resources. And so I also have a certificate in environmental education. So nice. I literally went to school to do what I'm doing now. Um, so it's good to hear that it worked. Yes, uh, yes. That, that was good training. <laughs> um, and so I went to school basically to get a science degree to be able to manage natural resources. And basically they were like, you are going to be prepared to go out and do all the research and know how to do all of these things. And then I was like, okay, cool. And now I'm going to learn how to do that. And then I'm going to go teach it to other people. Um, and that was just something that I realized that I really enjoyed. Um, so I'm glad that it works. Yes. Um, yes. And I also am glad that you did a segue because mm -hmm. normally if I didn't start with that, I immediately start with like, so tell me your background. Yeah. So that's a good little bit of your background. Mm -hmm. but go deeper. Tell me how you knew you wanted to do this and you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah bring us up to date. I didn't um, know what I wanted to so I didn't when I was little and I think a lot of people start out this way when you're little and you're like I want to work with animals and then your parents are like okay vet and you're like excellent that is the only option that I know of right now in my child brain that is the only thing that I know uh, and so growing up um in my head, I was like, okay, maybe I'll kind of be a vet. That's, again, the only career that you can think of. I went to a 
camp kind of situation whenever it was on, I believe, St. Simon's Island whenever I was little and in Georgia, which is where I grew up outside of Savannah, Georgia. Oh, I can tell by your your deep Southern accent. I know. I actually, (laughs) I confuse a lot of people and it's really funny. Um, Especially in Savannah because that's such a specific, I can't do it, but that's the like real like Southern drawing, slow. Yes. So I grew up right right outside Savannah and I was actually born in Alabama. And so there are two places that have really distinct accents, but I happen to have extended family that are from uh, Southwestern Pennsylvania. And apparently when you're raised with those two, they can't cancel out. (laughs) Um, So I have a very... I don't know what accent that I had, depending on the word. It definitely comes out more. I was just going to say, um, accent had an accent. But, yes. But a lot of so things So certain don't. words yeah. do, um, some don't. And it has made, it's actually very funny, and it's made coming to California very easy because nobody asked me anything um, about where I'm from, except for when I use y'all and... Which happens pretty frequently. Yeah. I was uh, helping off board a school group and they were coming to the zoo. And I said, okay, y'all are going to go right inside. Da, da, da. And the bus driver stopped and he goes, where are you from? And I <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, the education department. <laughs> I was like, that's why I'm telling you where to go. And he goes, no, where are you? Like, where did you come from? Like, where did you grow up? And I was like, oh. He's like, you said y'all. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I thought you were confused. Is why I was randomly telling your children where to go. I was like, I'm authorized to do this. This is my job. I was very confused confused and then he's like no you said y'all where you did it and then I was like oh okay I understand what you're talking about but I do I sneak under the radar a lot with that one people yeah. don't usually find out where I'm, where I'm from until they ask um, so it's like a fun surprise that is awesome uh, but yes yeah, so <laughs> I actually before yeah. you move I, weirdly I, y'all mm-hmm. is becoming more common outside of the south yeah. um, it's a good non-gendered yeah. term I try to use it a lot also though uh, in my world so I am from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and um, I have been playing a southern character actually a couple southern characters okay. in shows for seven yeah. years now and my character never says y'all but by speaking in a southern accent mm-hmm. and trying to like live it I started saying y'all mm-hmm. and I have a good friend who's southern, mm-hmm. so I use y'all all the time but yeah. there's no accent on it it's just like right. y'all yeah. you know? and it's yeah. like but now it's becoming a thing but yeah for I've had a lot of people be like where are you from? Yeah. And I'm just like, I am a weird actor. Leave me alone. Yes, it is definitely, which makes it easier for me because it's definitely you know, like spreading its way. Yeah. And then that's one of the only things that you can usually pick out. There are like other phrases and things like that um, that I'll say and that kind of like show a little bit where I'm from. But as y'all gets wider spread, then I go further under the radar and people are like, I'm just assuming she's using a gender neutral term. And I'm like, I am, but also, <laughs> also that, yes. also this other one. Uh, so it works for multiple reasons, but nice. it's a great word for a lot of things and it's very helpful. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. moving on to uh, important stuff. Yeah. So I went to, whenever I was little, I went to a kind of three day camp with my elementary school when I was in the fifth grade. It was at St. Simon's Island. And we talked all about like natural resource and conservation. And I remember we talked about food waste where, you know, you would go to the dining hall and you're a little kid and it's like a buffet. And we wanted to talk about how to only take what it was that you plan to eat. And so they actually would weigh our food waste at the end, the food that we didn't eat. And so our goal was by the end of the third day to have us only getting what we actually wanted and what we planned to eat. So our goal was to have that weight go down. And it did, which was very exciting. So learning about kind of those implications um, not just piling stuff on because I could and have no intention of eating it and being wasteful. Um, and that was where I kind of got to see some ambassador animals really up close for the first time. And if I remember correctly, it was either a great horned owl or maybe even a barred owl. And, you know, cause again, I was like nine and, but seeing them 
And seeing that happen, I was like, I have no idea who these people are, but this is so cool. I love talking about these things and I love learning about them and then being this close to animals was such a really cool thing for me. But again, when I was a kid, I have no idea what that, I know now that that job description is called a naturalist. Um, And so they can work at nature centers, all kinds of places. And that is a thing. Uh, I didn't know that when I was a kid. And so again, you continue to grow up to want to go to vet school until, you know, I go all the way up through college. Um, I go to the University of Georgia and I start out in the college of agriculture and uh, agri-science in a pre-vet track. And so I was originally a pre-vet student, and so I've actually done some practicum uh, stuff with livestock. Uh, and so I have done uh, pregnancy, like rectal palpations and cattle. Mm-hmm. I've been like arm deep. I would do it again. It's actually not bad. Right. It's the psychology behind it that freaks you out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've again, done, I'm yeah, to a vet, so yeah, you so know, you're yeah, fine. You're like, wide I got aware. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, so, aware, it's yeah. not bad. <laughs> and so you know, I've worked with pigs, cattle, horses, all kinds of things, small animal. And I realized like I was going through this process, and it was fine. And I I liked it, but I realized I liked talking about and trying to teach people what was going on and why we were doing it. And then, so I was in the College of Agriculture. And then at some point in time, I truly have no memory. I don't know if I was possessed or what happened, but I somehow ended up in our forest resources college. So it's the college of Warnell and realizing that that's where they had the forest resources major. That's where they had our wildlife major. And I was like, wait, 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 I want to be, I want to be in this one. And so I had a meeting and we talked about it and she's like, yeah, we can get you transferred over here. It was a much smaller school. Um, and I think like they would take pictures of all of the incoming classes and my picture still hung up on the wall of like, like it's very little. Um, And so I remember meeting there and someone was like, well, this can be your home if you want it to be. And I was like, yes, I want that. (laughs) And so then I switched to be pre-vet wildlife. And so you start learning through all these wildlife sciences and things like that. And again, I start gravitating towards all the classes that talk about uh, kind of interpretation of natural resources to humans and the human dimensions aspects. That was just naturally what I was picking because I was like, oh, how can I learn to teach somebody to appreciate all of this work that we're doing because unless you have that human element kind of applied to the situation, then it doesn't really matter because right. you could be doing all this work that immediately gets undone two seconds later unless you have human beings on board and understanding what you're doing. And I had an advisor who's like, hey, so you do realize you're picking all of these. Do you want that to be your major? Because that's a thing. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, He's like, you're naturally gravitating towards all of these things. And so I ultimately, I then signed up for the uh, Natural Resource Recreation and Tourism uh, major, which has since changed and altered its name a little bit. And then they were just starting out a certificate program for environmental education. And I was one of the inaugural students to kind of get that certificate as well. Uh, And that's where I really got to kind of fine tune my actual teaching. I taught with ambassador animals in college. I was literally in a class called teaching with animals. And I, one of my teachers there, his name is Nick Furman and he is wonderful. Uh, he's like an energizer bunny of a human being (laughs) and he was fantastic and he had, uh, ambassador animals that he had permitted under him. And so he actually would, uh, lend me, lend them out to me under his permit. So I actually go teach and volunteer at elementary schools and teach kids about snakes and teach kids about these things. And I realized like, that's what I really loved doing. And so I was able to kind of find it out through trial and error, basically. And then, you know, time comes, um, we graduate. I was actually our commencement speaker at our graduation. I don't know how that happened. It was through a vote. Um, (laughs) I don't know. And so we graduate. Everything's wonderful. I then, this was in Athens, Georgia. And then I moved to Atlanta. And I, 
enjoy Atlanta. I did not enjoy living in Atlanta um, because you have to drive everywhere to be able to do anything. Yes. And that is very frustrating. Um, And so I lived there only for a little bit. But while while I was there, I was a naturalist for the Chattahoochee Nature Center, which is where I worked with a lot of uh, native ambassador animals because they had a rehabilitation clinic right alongside. And so I worked with a lot of animals there. And that's where I just really, you know, consolidated that love and really just made it it's just cemented everything. I was like, this is it. And so I did that. And then I was also an interpretive ranger using, you know, forest resources and things like that at the Fernbank Museum of Natural History. And so they had a 65 acre old growth forest that I helped manage and work with there. And it was very fun because, uh, I would dress in field clothes and then like you blend into the forest and then you like pop out of nowhere and people are like, oh God, there's a person here. <laughs> and so that was always really fun. Um, I once actually... Murderer, no, educator, it's <laughs> like, fine. Let's learn about soil. Uh, and so yeah, you just pop out of nowhere. And there was actually one time, it was my job to be out there and we the forest was attached to the museum. And the only way to get in, you know, it was gated on the sides. We could let school groups in and stuff like that. But the only way to get to the forest was if you bought a ticket, went through the museum and then walked all the way out there. So little kids were not supposed to be out there by themselves. And so, you know, if you were under 15 or things like that, you had to have an adult or somebody with you. And there was this one day where I was out and it was raining. And uh, that's one thing I miss about, you know, when I live in California, I do miss that it rained a lot uh, in Atlanta. So it was raining and I was making um, baskets out of English ivy, which was an invasive plant there. So we would pull it a lot. And it was just an activity to do to be able to talk about invasive plants and whatnot. So I was trying to uh, practice some basket making skills doing this in the rain under a little pavilion and suddenly I'm sitting there I didn't expect anybody else to be out there that day and I hear two voices and I look up and it's a kid who's probably like 13 and then somebody with him who might be like 17 or 18 but I had to be like okay are you like allowed to be out here your parents would be here and so again I kind of stand up from where I was a little hiding and kind of met them and I was like hey like and I welcomed to the forest and all those things and realized you know one of them was 18 they were the right age they should be out there by themselves I didn't have to tell them to turn around and go find an adult um, and so I was like okay great uh, you know if you want to go around this path you can go check out this thing da 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 and kind of in retrospect uh, you know might be a little odd because they went on this little path and then they came back. They had to loop back around and pass me. And I was so excited. The only people that I saw there that day. So I actually gave them the basket that I'd made out of the ivy. However, I now realize that it was like a weird quest. I spawned out of nowhere, sent them on a path and then gave them a reward. <laughs> I was just going to ask you um, <laughs> if you realize that you sound like you were like a pixie in the force. I literally was waiting I to do be now. like, you realize this, right? And I you're do just now. now realizing At this. the time, <laughs> I was like, this is so fun. I have, I didn't think, I literally said, I didn't think I was going to see people today. And then assuming like I'm not a person. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. And I just like popped out of nowhere. And I was like, if you go on this trail and come back, go look at the soil doors and then come back and tell me what you thought. And then I was like, here's a basket. And then I'm pretty sure they went and told their parents. And they would probably be like, who did you see I in the woods? I was just going to say, they went to there and they're like, why do you always lie? Why yeah, do you make stuff like, up? No, like, girl yeah. popped up and gave you a basket in the Yeah. Wait, there's a basket? Yes. It's like the end of the movie. Like, they see the basket and it cuts to credits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if they are listening to this, I'm a real human being. I was just excited to see other human beings <laughs> uh, that day. Uh, okay, yes. admit it. You're, we're on the podcast, but like, come on. Now is the time. You're a fairy princess, right? Like, obviously. Obviously? Yeah. No, okay. this is, October's coming up. It's my time to try to convince everybody that I'm a witch consistently. <laughs> uh, it's always really fun when kids are like looking at you and they're like, I know what you are. And you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> what are you talking 
talking about? Um, but so we have that. And so uh, around, this was in, we're now in 2020. Uh, and I realized, you know, I didn't really like living in Atlanta. I loved where I worked. I loved what I did. But it was not as enjoyable when, you know, the other half of where you're actually living uh, is not as enjoyable. Yeah. And so then I was like, you know what? I really want to be able to move somewhere else and be able to kind of expand my career. And so by doing that, you know, you start looking at places. And when it comes to natural resource and environmental stuff, usually California, maybe into Montana, things like that have more opportunities. Right. I am not built for the cold. So Montana was a no-go. Uh, I grew up in a habitat only frogs could love. And so I cannot survive in cold weather. I did um, notice the sweater. I mean, we're in Oakland. It's sunny yes, and you're rocking a but sweater But there's a right breeze. Now. And so <laughs> I'm wearing a sweater. Um, and so I'm always wearing sweaters. I have like heated blank, all those things. Nice, uh, nice. I'm not I'm not built for it. Uh, there's a, yeah, I'm built for high humidity, 90 degrees. Um, and so... I was like, you know, I want to do something different. And so looking at all these places uh, and San Francisco was a place that, you know, I had the opportunity. Um, so looking over here and the Oakland Zoo at that time had a position open and I applied for it and kind of started the interview process. And then the shutdown happened. Oof, yeah. And I was like, that's a bummer. And then I was like, you know what? I still want to commit. I want to kind of move. I want to be able to do these things. So I kind of made the jump. Uh, still moved over to San Francisco, which after I came and visited once, I realized I had a lot of, you know, I had this list of things that I really wanted in a place that I lived, um, you know, a lot of walkability for my dog and all of these things. And it had everything that I wanted, as well as the culture around environmental education and science that would have been really supportive to me, having so many institutions here and so many options. And so I made the jump and I moved and I started working with the Randall Museum here, uh, in, well, over there in San Francisco. And so I created a lot of curriculum there for them and worked with their ambassador animals there. Um, and again, was just kind of like hoping that that position here would open back up at the Oakland Zoo. And so the position that originally was open was actually the assistant to my current position that I'm in right now. By going through the pandemic, um, the person who was in my position decided to go somewhere else. Um, and I applied for this one. And fortunately, uh, we joked that it was like two years in the making because uh, I would not let them forget about me. <laughs> and so I applied for this one again. And fortunately, our director at the time, she thought that I would be a great fit. And I started last November. So I'll be coming up on a year very soon nice. and that's how I got here that's amazing that is such a cool story yeah. and good for you for just being like you know what I want yeah. this I'm just gonna like move across the country and we'll yeah. figure it out that's yeah. really cool I think you have to shoot your shot when yeah. you really want something I'm a big fan of that yes uh, and it confused a lot of my family members I get that. Um, which was which is fair uh, but I had family members who were like well is that what you want to do I was like yep they're like well she's gonna do it anyway so you might as well support her <laughs> so that's, like, awesome. that's great yeah my mom was like if Sarah's gonna do it she'll do it so you might as well get on board otherwise it's just gonna lead to problems so get on board. That's awesome. Sooner rather really than later. That. Yeah. And um, you know, now I would traditionally transition to like the mm -hmm. animals in your character, mm -hmm. but you mentioned a dog, mm -hmm. and I would like to transition to what's going on uh, with with your at home pets right now in yeah. that situation. I want to talk about it. I want to yeah. bring awareness, and let's let's uh, let's talk about it. Tell yeah. Me, tell me so things. at home, I have one dog uh, and two cats. Uh, my dog Lily will be eight next February. And you might be alluding to right now, she does have some kind of medical right, things yeah, going let's on. Talk about this. She 
let's see, a few weeks ago. Actually, the last day of the AZA conference was when I got the call. She had had a lump kind of on the back of her leg um, that we thought was like a fatty deposit. Because, you know, dogs get older. They get a little lumpy and bumpy, and Mm -hmm. it happens. And if it was just cosmetic, whatever. But there was always a possibility that it was cancerous. And so we still had it tested. And I found out the last day of the conference, right before I was coming home, that it was a malignant tumor which was very difficult for me to deal with. Um, So we got ultrasounds for her and we just had a surgery for her to remove that tumor last Thursday. So she's currently at home with like half of her bottom shaved and looking really funky (laughs) and she's got a cone. Well, she had a cone and then she didn't like the cone. So we got her one of those donut things and she just is, it's so much better for her. And so, uh, she's able to handle that a lot easier. Um, so she is home recovering right now and we are waiting to see if her tumor, if they got clean margins or if she'll need to go through radiation or something like that. It's time for interrupting, 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 Interrupting John. Mm. And some really good news on that front. Since this interview was recorded, the tests have come back and the margins were clean. And at this time, the dog needs no additional care other than the constant care, love, and attention that Sarah and her partner are bestowing upon said dog. Yay! Happy interrupting John. Okay, back to the interview. And I do want to take a moment to say uh, a special thank you to Cowboy and Russo. They were a fund who actually I applied for a grant and they helped support $2,000 worth of funding for me to get medical care for my dog. They're dedicated just to helping people who rescue animals. Um, And so that's somebody I want to say thank you to because they have a really cool mission and it made a really huge difference to someone like me who I am not in a field that will ever make me rich. Uh, And so having that not only financial support, but they would they still email me for updates and like they like check in on you Um, like the day of her surgery they were like we're wishing you all the best let us know so just having that was so it makes such a big difference and then also at that time uh, special thank you to anybody who you know followed me on Instagram or supported me there Uh, around that time when we found out we were waiting for the surgery uh, I had mentioned it and was not expecting the level of like love and support that people were going to share to where people were like, can I donate? Can I help you? What can I do? And to where for that next week, I would just be spontaneously like crying at my house, not out of fear and sadness for my dog, which I had, but out of like just the love that people were giving me. One person literally donated to me and said, this is payback or partial payback for all the times that you've made me laugh. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> like, this is too nice. Um, and so just having that is something that I still struggle to process and like can make me tear up like right now. Um, so a special thank you to everybody who, or anybody and everybody who sent something kind or people who bought prints or stickers for me to help raise money. Um, but that's kind of, the point that we're at right now, we're just waiting to hear back. Um, and my birthday's actually coming up on Sunday. And the Happy only birthday. thing, thank you, the only thing that I want for my birthday are clear test results Amazing. for my dog. So. Amazing. Yeah. And um, talk to me a little bit, like share your Instas mm-hmm. and stuff. Let people yeah. know where to find you and how they can help by buying your stuff. Because uh, you have some really cool stuff. Thanks. Yeah. I want yeah. To, I, yeah I'm, I, I actually reached out on Insta yeah. and was like, hey, like, let me know if you want me to share yeah. this stuff or whatever. But like, I know you have a very protected account because I do. y'all, this girl is like famous. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, so, but yeah, I, yeah. You know, I want my listeners to be able to Yeah. Help. So I am on Instagram as myself. It's just my name. It's just Sarah Lynn Bowser and it is Bowser like the Mario character. If you ever <laughs> are wondering how to spell it, that's how you do. Uh, and so that is where I 
I, you know, it is actually my personal account that blew up accidentally um, when I made a joke about dressing like a frog and toad character. Um, but I do teach about wildlife and share part of my life and my job there. Um, I especially talk about California native wildlife and North American native wildlife because they don't always get the love that they deserve. Um, so I talk about a lot of that there. Uh, if anybody wants to follow me, I'm not on TikTok. So if you ever see me on there, I didn't post it. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> so if you ever find my face on there, that was not me. Um, but I am on Instagram and share uh, things that way. And also, just so you know, unless I follow you back, which I don't always realize when people follow me, you actually aren't able to message me because people on the internet are creepy. creepy. And so I learned that you can actually protect your account so nobody can message you unless you follow them back. It doesn't even go into like requests right. because I'm one of those people that doesn't like unread messages. Mm-hmm. And so I just turned all of it off. Yeah, no, <laughs> and so that is, that, that if is I didn't respond, wise. I wasn't ignoring you. I don't know that I got it. It actually tells yeah. you that. You, oh, does it? It literally okay, came up and was like, nice try, John. You were being okay, creepy. Good, okay, but, you know, cool. It's really funny. Yeah, like, it does let you know. Like, yeah, this girl don't want to talk to you. <laughs> go away. Go away. Get out of her DMs. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm interviewing her. I promise. <laughs> You're like, you it's real. <laughs> well, now, I'll fall, I, if I don't already, I'll make sure I follow right, back. Right, so then yeah. you actually can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, and so, and what's, what's your art stuff so that people mm-hmm. can, because I want people to buy stuff. I want people, yeah. especially... I'm also going to be hoping yeah. for clean test results. Thank but yeah. if not, yeah. you're going to need more money. Right. Gonna, so how can we help? Because you do an amazing thing. Yeah. Like, y'all, just just to, to jump out and talk to my audience for a second. <laughs> um, you guys know I don't do research. I love to come. I love to learn about people in the moment mm-hmm. spontaneously. It's it's either my hook or because I'm lazy, possibly both. Um, but in this case... You know, I go on Instagram, I check out a thing or two, and these the the the, the videos and the content are incredible. Mm-hmm. And I went down like a wormhole. Like, I was just like, watching all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's how I knew about yeah. the cancer and everything. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, this is really good content. Yeah. And I'm always around animal stuff, so a lot of times mm-hmm. I kind of skip through a yeah. lot of it because I it's it's my whole feed. Right. Um. But like this is this is yes this is a very good follow and somebody who really deserves support because that is all free that's not yeah. your, that's just the thing you're doing yeah. to support animals just yeah. like you know i'm not i'm not uh getting rich off this yeah. podcast <laughs> here we are though trying to yeah. make a difference so right. y'all please support uh so yeah where can they find the art stuff yeah so the art stuff is on another account as well as a website uh and it's where i make a lot of uh liner print and like block printing things as well as some other things here and there um and it is called the Overlooked Opossum because they are one of my favorite animals of all time. And not a lot of people realize how cool and how wonderful they are as animals. And so you can either go to the overlookedopossum.com or the Overlooked Opossum on Instagram. And they're all tagged on my account and everything like that. But that's where you can see a lot of the prints. And right now, because so many people actually bought and supported from me. I think the only prints that I have left in my store, I have some about turkey vultures, black vultures, and condors. And then I have a print uh, of apple cedar rust, which is actually kind of a funny story because people have asked, what kind of prints would you like to see from me? And people were like, fungus. And I knew... I knew what they meant. I knew they meant like turkey tail mushrooms. I knew they meant like mushrooms that you forage for. And I was like, absolutely not. This is where we're going to put my forestry degree to use. And I made a print. See, mom, I told you I could use this degree. And I made a print of one of the forms of apple cedar rust when it's on like cedar trees. It's like this big oozing fungus and actually devastates apple orchards and like rose orchards. But we're going to ignore that part for right now. Um, 
because it's just a really cool fungus to look at. And so I made this print mostly for myself. I have sold two because nobody else knows what it is. Uh, but it is something that was funny. It was like, people were like, what about fungus? I was like, I am not making a morel mushroom. I will make you apple cedar rust. And that is what you're getting for this. Uh, but those ones are left if anybody's super interested in fungus um, and learning about something new. Um, so that was there. But those are, I think, the ones that I have left. Um, and then I usually try to, with all the prints that I make, um, I usually try to share 10% of those print proceeds to different organizations that help native wildlife. Uh, and so depending on the print that's going on, it might be different organizations. Um, the vultures uh, print that I made as a set, they're called the Carrion Committee, nice. which if you didn't know, a committee is a group of vultures that are just hanging out. If they are eating, it's called a wake. And then when they're flying together, it's a kettle. So This is dumb. Just for the record, <laughs> I think all of I think we, we we need to we need to simplify some some of those I know. things. But I know, but I love that you know that, and I, yes. that is very interesting. So now you all know that as well. Uh, but that's why I thought the name was really funny because I was like, "Haha, they eat carrion in their committee." Yes, so that's that what I called good. it. I like that. Um, and so they were North American uh, vultures, the ones you can see in the United States. So turkey vulture, black vulture, and the California condor, and prints from that series. Uh, proceeds went to Ventana Wildlife Society, which helps with condor recovery and things like that. And it changes uh, every month whenever I make new prints. Um, I have been on a little bit of a break, obviously dealing with things with my own life and adjusting here when things get crazy. I don't always get to create all the time, but I actually do have a new print coming out at the end of this month, if I can get it out by the end of September, hopefully, uh, of one of our red tail hawks, which is actually one of our ambassador animals here. And uh, it's a picture that I took of him and then carved. I always get the best reference pictures for my animals I work with them. Yes, obviously. So I have a kind of leg up in that area. Um, but so hopefully that will be the next one coming out. Um, but no, if you ever want to go through on the website, there is a page called uh, Greater Impact and where you can read about organizations that I've donated to in the past and learn how you can also donate to them or learn more about them. Love that so much. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Now, let's talk about some ambassador animals. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about some of your, you know, faves. Because I know you have favorites. I. You can't lie. For it's legal, not allowed on this podcast. For legal reasons, <laughs> I do not have favorites. There it is. However, <laughs> I do have ones that I enjoy working with very much. One of my, uh, one of the ones that's always very enjoyable to get to work with is our red tail hawk. He, unfortunately, right now is up in quarantine at our vet hospital due to an HPAI outbreak in yeah. the local area. Um, for those who don't know, it's the highly pathogenic avian influenza. And while he is perfectly healthy up there, everybody is safe. It is just a precaution to make sure that they stay safe through the migrating season because there were some migrating geese that did have the disease and it can wipe out a lot of bird populations. And so it's just a precaution. So I'm not able to take him out on program right now, but I still go. I was there with him yesterday and I'll be there with him on Thursday. Nice. I still visit him. And we just do our work uh, and walk around together inside the vet hospital. We just have to stay inside. Um, and we walk around and we see our wonderful vet techs and our uh, vet hospital keepers nice. and all those things. And, you know, give him, you know, to his adoring public up there. Because we always like he's such a wonderful bird. He actually came to us from Lindsay Wildlife. He is a rehabbed bird when he was a juvenile. He unfortunately got a parasitic infection that ate away the mo majority of his throat. Unfortunately. And so though he looks perfectly fine on the outside, he has a lot of internal damage. And because of that internal damage, he was deemed non-releasable. His ability to survive out in the wild because is greatly diminished because since he's missing so much of that uh, tissue on the inside, when he exerts himself too much, so for example, flying a lot or soaring, things that a hawk might have to do, Occasionally, he yeah. sounds like he has bird asthma oh. and he can't breathe. Okay. Um, and so obviously that would... 
you know, lead to a big issue with his ability to survive. He was so young and he started to get very interested in people that they're like, you know, they reached out to us. They're like, hey, we've got this bird. Uh, we think that he might be a really wonderful ambassador because, you know, he's already non-releasable. Um, but, you know, he's got a long life to live. And so trying to find somewhere that can actually care for him for the rest of his life. And we have the facilities to be able to do that and the wonderful vet care and team to be able to do that. So he just turned one this past April and I've gotten to watch him kind of grow up. I watched him lose all of his juvenile tail feathers and grow all of his new ones. Awesome. Uh, I made a video about it. If you want to watch that progression, <laughs> it was the best thing. I, it was months of picture taking in the making of watching these little feathers just grow and get bigger. So it was really, really cool. His eye color also changed from a very light kind of light bluish gray to a much deeper brown now. Um, but so getting to watch him grow up and get to work with him, um, he was one of the first animals that since my joining my role here that was kind of the first new animal that was under kind of my management and so we have like that kind of special bond and knowing that I could work with him for 20 years is a really cool thing um, and so I really enjoy working with him we also have really wonderful animals. We have desert tortoises. We have uh, California king snake. We have gopher snakes. We have ball pythons. We have hedgehogs, tenrix. We also have two wonderful parrots who were unfortunately victims of the illegal wildlife trade. Um, they were smuggled. And fortunately, we were able to, whenever they were found, um, they were able to come here. And they've been here for decades, yes. um, I believe, at this point. Um, I'm surprised they're very quiet right now, but if I say their name, maybe they'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> you'll hopefully get to see them here in a little bit. Uh, but they're so funny because they are very particular about who they like and who they don't like. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be... You have to have a certain level of trust with a lot of the animals that you work with in order to make it work. So, for example, when I go out and I teach with animals, people always look at me they're like, oh, my God, that looks so effortless. It looks so easy. And I'm like, do you know the amount of time that goes into making a bird trust you? Right. Uh, for example, a red-tailed hawk, I work with him all the time to keep this trust. I'm able to successfully feed him by hand, gently. Oh, we oh, have, so which cool. is not always common in ambassador animal programs. Uh, program birds like raptors usually have anklets and jesses, and that's what kind of connects them to your glove, and that's for everyone's safety. Um, normally, birds have permanent jesses, these leather pieces that come out. They don't come in and out. Uh, our red tail hawk, since he is fully flighted, uh, he can fly around in his enclosure, but if you have those leather straps hanging, you can get stuck on something, so it's a safety concern. So he only has the anklets, which means that in order for us to go on program, he has to voluntarily let me put Jess's through and hook him up, which involves us having the relationship for when I walk in to ask him to come over. Most of the time, I don't even have to ask. He's just like, hey, where do you do? We go on Instagram. How's it going? <laughs> uh, and so he fly, you know, he come, you'll ask him to come over and he'll come over and I show him my hands and I'm like, okay, he lets me touch his anklets. He lets me put equipment on. He stays there voluntarily and he'll step under my glove and it is very much a working relationship that takes both of us. Mm -hmm. He could totally opt out at any time. There have been some days where I lose the battle to the squirrels because I'm not as interesting. <laughs> and, I, and I get it. Like, it happens, right? Some days the squirrels are just too much. And you're like, not you. Uh, and so being able to have that relationship, that's actually one thing that we talked about as well um, at AZA was talking about how can we try to give him more choice and control of when to participate and when to opt out. Because mm -hmm. whenever we actually put those dresses in, he might not necessarily know what's going to happen next. And so we are 
this is actually this has never really been done um, and recorded uh, in any kind of scientific capacity, but we are using different colored jesses to indicate what was going to be happening after he's hooked up to see if there is any kind of response if he suddenly starts not wanting to go on to program when he sees that color of jesses. Right, right. Um, and so it's very funny because. Nobody's really done that yet. And so hopefully we'll learn more and see uh, how that works with him and if that gives him more choice and understanding, if that leads to any differences in behavior. Um, And so we're going to get to learn more about that and kind of feel that out and think about it might even lead to thinking about the way that we present our birds Mm -hmm. um, in the future and giving them more choice and control. Because if he's willing to come down, if he knows we're just going to go on a walk over here and not leave his enclosure, but then he realizes if he goes out on program and he doesn't want to participate anymore— why doesn't he want to participate? It's very funny when I remember first mentioning this idea, uh, they were like, oh, well, what if he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore? I was like, that's that's the point. <laughs> what if he decides he doesn't want to do it? Right, Why right. doesn't he want to do it anymore? And is there something that we can fix to make this a better experience for them or for him? Or is this something that he really dislikes? And is that going to be an issue with his welfare? Right. Because right. he can't verbalize to us that that's how he feels. But so trying to figure out other ways that they can indicate those things to us. So that's one of the things. And I did put that in my presentation for AZA and somebody came up to that. They're like, hey, colored dresses. Let's talk about it. I was like, maybe next year because I don't have any information yet. Coming that soon. That is really cool. Though. So it's a really cool yeah. concept that we're just trying to figure out how that can work and how that can be applied to other, you know, to our birds, starting with him. Does it apply to other birds? Um, and so that's again one of the reasons why you go to conferences and just share these ideas and right. see how we can constantly push things forward. Um, I remember actually at the conference mm-hmm. there was a, at the the thing that I mm-hmm. saw you speak at. Um, there was a thing about how everyone uses the term and you're mm-hmm. using it. So I think it's a yeah. choice and control, yeah. but how those are two different yes. things. And I found that really interesting. Yes. And we talked about it a little bit on a Zoo News episode that right. I did. But can you can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. So it was really funny at the conference. Uh, Rebecca was making the presentation. She talked about how sometimes people say choice and control, like it's all one word, yes. but it's actually choice and control. So two separate things about when an ambassador animal or any animal, because you can have it for even our animals that stay on exhibit and don't necessarily come out um, very often, um, but giving them the choice to participate or to opt out and giving them control of their environment. And so the control part's usually a lot harder, deciding when can I leave? Can I close this door? Can I do all these things? Can I control any aspect of this? Or am I just kind of stuck? He might have like chosen to participate in the beginning, but then what happens if he decides he doesn't want to do that anymore? Um, so constantly figuring out how to apply those things uh, is difficult. And again, it depends on the individual and the species and what's going on. Um, but it's one of those things that we talk about and why we talked about it at the conference as well is figuring out what does that look like. And that's actually one thing that's very funny now Usually when people think that they have a program, they think they're always guaranteed to see certain animals. And unfortunately, you always have to break it to them, especially when you take things like this very seriously and be like, you actually don't have a guarantee to any of these animals. He can totally be like, no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sorry. And like, we'll try to see if there's another animal that would be interested. Um, But they don't always. Uh, And so explaining that to people, sometimes a little hard, but even part of my job here also is training our education specialists, docents, other people who might handle our ambassador animals. How do we do so safely? And we even tell them, or even with myself, I don't have any right to any of these animals. Um, 
they do not have to work with me if they decide not to. If they give me the cues and the signals that I'm trained to be able to read, then you back off. Um, and so that's like a big part of it that I think people forget that even though we have a program and something to do, you need to have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and all the way down to Z because it might not work out the way that you, and it never actually works out the way that you think it's going to the first time anyways. Uh, but so being able to come up with a lot of those things and realizing that our animals are not they don't have to participate. We don't withhold any of their food for not participating. We don't. We might have food and give it to them as reward for certain things, but they're always guaranteed their food, whether they decide to opt out um, or not. And that isn't necessarily always the case for all animals um, involved in programming. And so that's part of why we talk about uh, if you ever go to a zoo or an institution, seeing if they're AZA accredited, um, because they do have certain welfare standards. And then even within that, we're constantly trying to push that. But if you ever see animals that are very clearly, if you ever see a bird on someone's arm that's very clearly baiting or not really allowed to move or have much choice, uh, you can just kind of start asking yourself some questions and realize, is this going on the way I think it is going on? Is that right? Because um, it might not be. Right. Yeah. And I think it's so important, um, and this is something I constantly try mm -hmm. to do on the pod, is like to share the things like what yeah. you were saying about the hawk and the color choice. Like, that's the coolest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And who knows if it will work? It's a I new know. thing. We're going to find out. But yeah. like... Even the best zoos, and, and Oakland Zoo does an incredible job of mm -hmm. communicating not just like, here's a pretty giraffe, yeah. but also like, this is what our team is doing. This is what our yeah. vet team is doing. This is our in-situ conservation work that we do. Yeah. But even there, like, you can't cover all of it. And yeah. I just hope that zoos keep talking more about that kind of stuff because that yeah. is fascinating. And how can anyone who disagrees with the concept of zoos in general, uh, you know, sincerely say oh yeah. you don't give a crap about yeah. the animals when you're like so i'm picking out these different colors and yeah. i'm gonna analyze the data and you know yeah. it's like yeah you're nerding yeah. out just to make sure that this animal that by all appearances and all indications and everything we know about them already mm -hmm. is very happy yeah very good life loves you to death whatever you know i'm anthropomorphizing a little bit but only a little yeah. bit um and and um you know but but how can we still find out right. how never assume that you know yeah you know again back to that uh constant compassionate attention all the time um and that's the way that you know when we talk about like anthropomorphism I, I will never know how he feels about me he can't tell me um but i can know how i feel about him mm -hmm. and the things that i try to make for him that hopefully show us some signs that we can read unfortunately he can never be like I love you. But what he might do is show uh, signs when he's a juvenile that he would do to his maternal mother, which mm -hmm. he's done. He might do some of those things to me. He will tolerate being on a glove next to me, being this close to my face. Uh, he has tolerated if he drops something, he will stay very patient while I bend down to pick it up. He trusts me from what we can see pretty completely to let me keep him safe. Right. Um, and that to me is the best kind of display of love is just by trusting me yeah. to keep him safe and trusting to stay near me um, are the best things that I can really, the best things that I can really read. Right. right. And right. so, and one other thing that's always very funny too, like we can do that with our hawks, but you know, sometimes when you do it with snakes, it's a little bit different. Right. And so when we handle our snakes, it's actually very funny. This is one of the reasons that people think I'm a witch all the time. Um, but there's a scientific explanation why. And so 
what happens is, like I said, that I am also responsible for training other individuals now on how to handle our animals. We have a large variety of snakes that are in our animal room as ambassador animals. They're really, really wonderful. Uh, but what's really funny is when someone's learning how to handle a snake, uh, sometimes the snakes tend to move and do a lot of things, and then they will pass it back to me so I can show them something, and they tend to slow down very quickly. Um, so there have been cases where a snake is moving quite a bit on someone else's hand, a new handler, and then they pass it off to me and all of a sudden they're comfortable. They're not even moving at all. They're just like cozy as can be. And they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I, it's kind of like a second nature how to handle them properly. But then also we found this paper that talked about how snakes when given ample enrichment, right? When presented with the smell of a person that handles them frequently and somebody new or novel, they investigate the novel one. And so being able that shows that they're able to distinguish between someone they smell all the time and somebody new and they're only interested in the new person. And so you can kind of follow the train of thought to say, okay, so then that means that if I handle them frequently enough, I'm not interesting anymore. I'm not a threat anymore. I'm just like a rock. And it's fine. Right. So it's as if they got put down. And so they're just being kind of left alone. Um, and so when they calm down in my hands, it might just be a sign that I have reached a level of neutrality that you can only hope for. Uh, and this thing's just calm down. So it's not, or it's witchcraft. That's also You're another a option. Thumb, right? Just admit yeah. it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like one of those things there is like being able to present that. Um, and so whenever I take them out and I show people, people are like, oh, are you their favorite? Because they seem right. to behave differently with you. I'm like, again, it, it's not that I'm their favorite. I just don't matter anymore. I'm a rock. <laughs> yeah. It's just me. It's fine. And so it's a kind of, it's kind of a fun way to talk about how we think about what makes an animal comfortable. Sometimes it's not seeking you out and liking you like your dog or your cat might at home. Sometimes it's just not mattering at all. <laughs> and that can be the best thing in the right. best case of the situation. So watching them be able to calm down and not show signs of stress or rapid movement or very uh, clearly trying to seek shelter. But when they just like hang out, little kids think you're a witch, but you just know that you've handled them enough and it's fine. Or you're yeah. a witch or a forest pixie. We have a, yeah. there's a lot going on in this one. There, and this we might is... have to release this around Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> this is very thematic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So mm -hmm. um, we're going to go meet some animals. Yeah. So we'll do that and we'll record some stuff there and talk more about the animals mm -hmm. there. Uh, but first. Yeah. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Yeah. So it's very gross, but it technically isn't poop. But it's also very gross to her. It even grossed out our keeper, which is saying a lot. Wow. Um, one of our keepers, it grossed them. It grossed out my entire office. And so then I just made it worse. Uh, so this is also with our red tail hawk. Now, when I walk around with him, we have him on a glove as well as food items for him. Uh, it can be, it's usually a lot of rodents like mice and rats and things like that. And in this particular day, I was feeding him pieces of mice. Um, and the way that we feed him uh, on glove is he's being fed smaller pieces by hand. It also helps for him to be able to eat smaller pieces again because of his right. uh, particular inju uh, injury. Uh, so it's very helpful there. Walk around on glove. This was actually the first day I had an intern joining me that day. It was her first day. And so we're walking around and I'm talking and red tail hawks, when they eat, they drool. It's very normal. However, sometimes our red tail, his name is Rufus, which means, you know, red feathered and it's, you know, a name for his tail, uh, like how he's called red tail hawk. Uh, 
he, when he drools, again, super normal, he'll sometimes like fling his head a little bit and, you know, there's some spit going places. It happens. Uh, however, this particular day, I'm out introducing him to people. We're talking about him. And my intern's standing right next to me. And all of a sudden, he shakes his head and it goes in my mouth. <laughs> and so... He obviously was eating. I now in my head now I have hawk spit and subsequently mouse in like internal things right, right. in my mouth. And so I was like, okay, uh, it was warm and tasted like pennies. If anybody <laughs> wants to know. Uh, and so I was like, we have reached a new level. And he just like looks at me like, what? And my intern's like, oh my God. And so I was like, that was very gross. So then, you know, we're like, we're just going to, we're going to keep moving on. If I get sick, I get sick. We're going to see what happens. And so we come back and, you know, we put him away and everything. Um, I'm like, okay. So now I go back into the office and I have to be like, okay, does anybody have alcohol? Do we have, what do we have? What do you have? One of my coworkers fortunately had uh, toothpaste. And so we didn't have a toothbrush, but I was able to put it in like water and like at least rinse with it for a little bit. I like that and you defaulted so, to alcohol though. We we need to we need to talk. No, oh yeah, well because that's what I was <laughs> no, like, if we yeah. have to do it, that's gonna be fine. Because I was like, nobody nobody had mouthwash, nobody had this, nobody had that, and so this was like that. I was like, okay, I know there's like alcohol for cleaning. If we gotta do it, we gotta do it. We'll just swish with it. Um, but then I was able to get some at least toothpaste or something to at least help with the taste. And I was like, you know what? Uh, either I will have a very strong immune system. Or I'm going to get really sick. I'm going to see what happens. Um, I was fine. Ultimately, I'm just building my immune system stronger than <laughs> ever will be necessary. Um, and that is actually now the reason why several members of my department saw me walking around that day and they knew what had happened. And they're like, Sarah, that's disgusting. And I'm like, thank you for sharing. I know. <laughs> but they, I now have several. <laughs> they gave me. Different people did this, got me little tiny bottles of mouthwash, and I now have several flavors in my desk in case it happens again. Nice. And it almost happened again yesterday, but he, <laughs> he, he hit me like right above my lip and on my forehead. So it was close, but it wasn't <laughs> quite there again. Um, but I'm at least prepared now. Amazing. That's... So that's mine. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> that's <mine>. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. Let's go meet some animals. Yeah. And so we headed off to the ambassador animal area, went behind the scenes and got to see all kinds of cool things. Uh, they have a really awesome collection. And uh, Sarah was really uh, gracious taking me through and, and letting me see all kinds of cool herps and stuff. And it was awesome. But then we went outside to uh, introduce you all to a couple of very special birds. Cool. So we are in the ambassador building. Yeah, so we're here in our ambassador animal room. We have different enclosures for all of our animals that are kind of attuned to their specific needs. Um, they always have tons of enrichment that gets cycled out pretty often. Um, we have blue tongue skinks. We actually have a blue tongue skink right here. Her name is Azul, and she and I are actually the same age. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's always a really fun thing to share. She's pushing the boundaries of their lifespan. Um, <laughs> there are people that are right now listening to this. And looking this up to try to figure out how old you are. Exactly. Like, okay, so what is the lifespan? That's actually how I usually introduce people to how old I am. I'm like, we're the same age. Do the math. And then people have come in here and like, oh, born. And like, That's hilarious. Uh, we have California king snakes. We have a gray-banded king snake that you can kind of see peeking out right there. This situation right here was actually a double-decker situation connected by this pipe right here. And this oh. is actually for our gopher snake. So he's got two. Because he can get quite long. That's amazing. Um, we have some of our oh. fox turtles who are up here. This is a tortoise place, but he 
is allowed to like kind of come out and it's a little it's he has an indoor yard yeah and then he also has an outdoor yard they can go out to as well okay. depending on how he's feeling we have indoor uh, enclosures out here in here for our parents when it's cold but we also have outdoor so we'll go say hi to them oh my gosh zaba is so cute yes. i'm a big turtle and tortoise person yeah. so that makes me happy he's lovely he has a little fan sneaker i'm <laughs> dying He's a very big fan of shoes. Nice. Sorry, two birds here. I'm gonna have you stand as close to this wall. You right got here. it. They're gonna be here on this side. Hi, handsome. Hello, Brock. You're like, who in the world do you have with you? Brock, can you come here? I know. You're so handsome. Do you need to eye him first? Okay, that's fine. Hi, pretty lady. of calling it protected contact, but when it's protecting them. Yes. You know, and usually that's used in terms of only protecting the human is how I hear it a lot. Or like you said, for, but that's really, because you're right, mm-hmm. a cockatoo's not going to hurt me. I mean, they can. She, I know what yeah. beaks can do the thing, as Kate was, but but that's very cool to phrase right. it that way. I like that. Yeah, thinking about how having this here is not only defining your space, but it's defining hers, and we can both, you know, benefit from that. Yeah, I really so, like that. Yeah. That's cool. And so we usually talk about usually talk about uh she's actually being she's being very very gentle with me she's not always very gentle um jenny has an ear for comedy she also has a really dark sense of humor she laughs at really inappropriate times (laughs) Uh, but she does a lot of really wonderful things so we can ask her a lot of the behaviors that our animals might learn here usually are for them to be able to participate in their own medical care so for example if i ask jenny show me her wings Oh, oh, oh. And I'd be like, why do you want to do that? Because that actually allows us to look at her wings. And so she actually also has a history of cancer. Um, so she does have an amputation. And now we can just visually ask her very nicely, can she show us these things? She can display it to us. We can check things out. So, again, making it that partnership. And that's something that our keepers do with pretty much all of our animals, are having them trained where they can voluntarily participate. And then being taken care of is no longer an incredibly stressful experience, um, and it makes it easier for everybody. Um, so that's a big part of kind of what we do here. So we might ask her to show her, you know, show our wings. We might ask her to open. Okay. But not everything is always just for. Um, to be able to participate. Sometimes she has behaviors um, that we might also ask for just to see how she's feeling or she's participating. So if I were to ask her, Jenny, are you happy? (laughs) I'm very glad. (laughs) 
Christmas, and that's something that she does all the time, but I've got to know she makes usually when she's very excited. And so the biggest honor is walking up and Jenny making that sign when she sees you, because then you know that you are someone that she does enjoy. I hear you, Brock. Uh, and so Jenny is really wonderful. She's one of, I see, pretty girl. She's one of our very, very smart ambassador animals. Um, a little too smart for her own good sometimes. Uh, that's a gross bean. I'm sorry. It's kind of uh, and so one of the things actually we're doing right, right now with her is one of her enrichment opportunities is being able to paint, which is always very nice. cool. Um, but we're constantly trying to give her more choice and control in that situation, right? So you might have heard from other zoos where animals are handed a paintbrush, they can paint whatever color. Jenny actually has a setup where she chooses her own colors. She has a special stand that holds her canvas so she can apply it wherever she would like. And so this is actually kind of started um, by one of our keepers, Eunice, who's not here today. Um, but she is one of Jenny, or one of Jenny's biggest fans, and probably Jenny, one of Jane, uh, Jenny's more preferred people to be able to work with. Uh, I pale in comparison to this. <laughs> and so it's basically this block that I can show you inside. It's got all these colors that you can actually move around to make sure she's choosing the color and not that particular place. Um, I actually have one of her paintings that I can show you after this. Amazing. Um, Do you guys like sell them or anything? So or we how? don't right now. This okay. is just kind of for her. We might make them and you know give them to somebody for their last day or things like right. that. I'm just um, saying that at some point I would definitely buy a Jenny original <laughs> after meeting her. That's incredible. Yeah, and animal yeah, art is very important she's to me. Um, animals and you know their paintings. The question becomes: Do they actually even want to paint in the first place? Right. And so, literally a couple of weeks ago, I have to show you. I made her this board. It's a beautiful cardboard construction um, where we took pictures of her enrichment items and have them stick, stuck to Velcro, so she can. We're testing it out to see can she show us what she wants to do. Nice. And so she picks it up pretty quick. And so we want to see. We like to take her out painting, but does she even want to paint in the first place? So trying to see if she gives us that indication that that is something she even wants to be doing versus having her paint because we think that it's cute. Right. Right. And so again, trying to add more ways with our animals to see how can they communicate with us and have that choice and control in their environment, even choosing what they want to do that day. And the first day that we actually kind of test her over, we only gave her two options um, between doing an enrichment activity called recycle, where she holds plastic trash items, does a circle and puts it into a recycle bin. Mm -hmm. And so it gets exercise, all of these things there. Or she also has a special little puzzle. And so she actually uh, chose each one first. And then if she repeatedly kept choosing the same activity, we would continue it. She chose our puzzle box. I guess the girl. Until she got all of her puzzles in successfully. Then she chose to do recycle. We did that for a little bit. And you could also see in it that she didn't show any signs of, of frustration, of uh, a lot going on. She was very content. And so... It was a really good sign to us working with her, but that was something that could hopefully work in the future, and so it's something that we're really trying to continue. And then I also need to give her an option to opt out, um, because we realized that once she was done, she was just, uh, she, I actually thought that she was going to, um, there are little pictures that she could pull off from Velcro. I thought that she was going to get very aggressive with it, but she ended up just actually headbutting it, which was really cute. Um, it was way gentler than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's way gentler than I thought it was going to be. And so we realized that when she seemed like she was done, she was just hitting different sides, not actually selecting anything. Okay. So we're also going to be adding in an option for her just to choose not to do anything at all. Nice. Um, and so, again, you know, thinking about how can we apply those things so she has more choice and control of what she wants to do. Um, hi, sweet girl. I'm going to go say hi to your neighbor. 
Are you going to be jealous? Maybe a little bit. the jealousy you that's were talking the jealousy about. That we're talking you know? about uh -huh. And you just don't react. Fair. The way she knows that's how she wins. Fair. Sorry I laughed, but I was entertained. <laughs> I know. The jealousy. Yep. And so we just don't pay attention to her. Right. Nope. Now I'm not. Yes. <laughs> Brock is doing a very good job. And so Brock did have an injury, unfortunately. He had a seizure. Slowly growing back, but he is healed and he's perfectly fine. He just nice. not get sunscreen. Oh, okay. Good. Um, and so Brock is on Amazon, and so they're actually one of the most endangered parrots in the world due to the illegal wildlife trade, which again is how he came to us from being smuggled, unfortunately. But he is here now. He actually used to live on exhibit, which is how he learned how to say hello. Hello. He learned that by saying hello, people would stay with him. He does not know how to say goodbye. <laughs> so it's only how do you say hello. And he learned that by doing that, people would stay with you a lot longer. Um, right. And so that was actually behavior that we captured. Um, but so with Rob, he doesn't, he can't quite uh, show his wings the same as Jenny, but he is trained with a target to be able to show us his feet so we can check if he has arthritis or any other issues going on. We're able to ask him to move to different places to see how he's moving, if he's moving pretty well that day, if he's doing a little bit sluggish. He also is a beautiful singer because y'all named Amazons are known for duetting things out in the wild. And so sometimes whenever you go out and you present with him, you'll notice he's constantly talking the entire time that I'm talking. We're duetting right now. I, I know. Rob, you a song? Uh, and so asking for something, sometimes you can play music, and he likes the music, he might sing along. Uh, sometimes you can make your own sounds, and so I'll make sounds with him to see if he can imitate them, and it's just, again, that communication, spending time together. Um, the sound I make, he does not know how to make, and it's very funny because you'll watch him flex a lot of his muscles thinking about how to make it, and then he sometimes just quits and does a whistle, and so that's always really funny. Trust with you to not bite your fingers when you hand them oats. That's good. Uh, that is, so that is good. Everybody. 
So these are two uh, really, really sweet animals that we have here. And again, he also, you know, he also has his own enrichment items. He doesn't do quite as much as Jenny, uh, but he, we still do some. Uh, yeah. All right, Brock. Ferrets do. Oh, yeah. Uh, this passed out. These guys, they are illegal to own in California, and so they are actually from a ferret rescue uh, oh, in California. Cool. So that's how we got them. They are adopted, adopted little ferrets. Their faces um, are stupidly adorable. I they're can tell. very yes. cute. They're also, people always forget that they are like true carnivores mm -hmm. and predators, mm -hmm. um, and that uh, whenever we have them, just reminding people that they do completely eat meat uh, and things like that. And then we, whenever we go out and talk with them, we actually use them as a way to talk about our. Uh, native ferrets in North America um, and talk about the black-footed ferret and right. things like that. So we're able to kind of talk about them that way and learn a lot of the same things. Very cool. But we haven't used them as often and procreately because like some of the mammals, they are able to contract COVID. Ah, yes. Um, so we've had to be very cautious with them also throughout this time. Um, but yeah, we also have a cane toad down here. We have our leopard gecko, Megan, who's also oh, very up there in age. Um, she was born in 2002. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, these are most of our animals. Right? So good. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Sarah Lynn Bowser. And if you're wondering if you recognize that name or that voice, yes, Sarah Lynn did make a quick appearance on the Spooky Spectacular mini-sode for um, this October. As a matter of fact, uh, Sarah actually mentioned that she knew I sometimes did things like that and thus wanted to have that uh, story on there, uh, which is actually kind of what inspired me to do a Spooky Spectacular this year. So yeah, Sarah's just awesome. Um, and, you know, after our interview, as Sarah walked me out of the ambassador uh, animal area, we just kept talking and we couldn't stop talking. And y'all, if I had been recording, there would be an entire part two of this podcast because there was so much cool stuff, so much amazing stuff. And I just, I'm truly hopeful that Sarah becomes one of those voices like Colleen and other Colleen and Danny and uh, Tiffany and such that you just hear on this podcast a lot. And they're always amazing. Uh, that would be awesome. So yeah, it was a really good time. And I really just, Thank you guys for being here, especially Laura Shank, my Red Panda level patron, uh, but also, you know, all my other patrons. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Rossafari to support the pod for as little as $3 a month. And also all of you who aren't patrons, because yes, I love you too. Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.